When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Jets fans. Want $50 off your next round of drinks? Try Tap RM. They deliver the drinks right to your door so you can skip the lines and trips to the liquor store. Discover new and exclusive drinks or shop for your favorites. Don't worry. They've got all the options for you. Order your first round at taprm.com and get $50 off your first order using promo code Jets 50, $50 off $100 of beer. Not a bad deal. I would highly recommend it. I've done it. Connor's done it. Joe's got it. So make sure you go to taprm.com, use promo code Jets 50, skip the lines and get $50 off your first $100 worth of beer. $100 in beer for $50. Can't beat that. Now let's get into the pod. Setting up, looking downfield. He's going to heave a bomb for Corey Davis at the goal line. Into the end zone. He's got it. That's a Jet touchdown. select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today, someone that's finally taller than me on the podcast, Steve Palazzolo of uh, PFF, uh, PFF NFL Pod. How are you doing today, Steve? Doing great. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. I, uh, you know, been looking forward to having you on. Um, you know, we're recording this Tuesday, um, you know, a little bit removed now from uh, from Sunday's game, obviously, Bengals, Bengals, Rams. Um, it was nice not having a Tom Brady Super Bowl as a, as a Jets fan. Um, that was uh, it created a good game, obviously, two fun teams. What were some, I guess, just initial takeaways? Obviously, we got some, you know, star domination in this game. Um, any initial takeaways from uh, from an exciting Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think the every, the thing everybody was talking about was the Rams' defensive line against the Bengals' offensive line. Obviously, that came came true, uh, especially in the second half. I thought uh, my boss, Chris Collinsworth, got, always got to give him a shout out. I thought he did a pretty good job laying out how the Rams, you know, just started with their four man rush. The Bengals could handle it at the and the Rams made an adjustment and they just put Joe Burrow under so much pressure that the the Bengals just outside of one fluky seventy yard touch uh, seventy five yard touchdown they couldn't do anything in the second half. So. Uh, the stars came to play for the Rams and, you know, and they won where they needed to win. And I think, you know, Stafford, he played a good game. He finished off a really nice playoff run and the believers in Stafford, whether they were crazy or not, um, they were justified. You know, he showed that he can go win a Super Bowl for you. Not that he was perfect, but with the game on the line over and over again, you know, Stafford came through and, and uh, you know, the Rams, also justified their whole team building effort. So a lot, a lot of good storylines coming out of that. 
yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. You look at um, a lot, of obviously, different things we saw on Sunday. We saw, you know, there's a lot of different arguments that were made for the last two weeks, whether, you know, how valuable corner is. I know you guys believe corner is very valuable. I believe corner is valuable. And then you get see Jalen Ramsey and he gets burned one time on a face yeah. mask. And all of a sudden now Jalen Ramsey's not that good. And, um, you know, Burrow comes out today. Obviously, it's a sprained ligament, um, which is he's lucky, you know, he got away with that. The other, uh, the other big injury that we obviously saw that, I was curious how much you really felt like it impacted the game. It seemed like it impacted the Rams game plan an immense amount, which is Odell Beckham, who I thought was probably in line to get a nice, a nice payday this off season. How bad, how much do you think that affects him going forward? And then just how much it affected the Rams? Uh, you know, they had to change. It looked, they couldn't do anything for like two quarters until the end. Yeah. I thought it was pretty evident early on that they had a very specific game plan for Odell Beckham. I mean, you, you see that a lot with, you know, just football and game planning in general. And in one of their very first third down plays was the touchdown that they threw to him. They put him in the slot and, and threw the fade to him. And then you saw, you saw that same play show up three or four times later, but it was Van Jefferson running the route and he couldn't get separation against Mike Hilton. So there was two big plays early on OBJ in the slot against Mike Hilton. It looked like a very uh, distinct part of the, the Rams game plan. And obviously their offense was not nearly as efficient, but you know, after he went out, I mean, the timing of the injury is horrible, obviously, too, because you've got free agency coming up. And OBJ, you know, after all that inconsistent production in Cleveland, um, it's not like he lit it up with the Rams, but he had all those touchdowns in the red zone. And you just saw him moving and, and uh, you know, creating separation and everything that he did, you know, looked like that star receiver that he was previously. And it doesn't mean he'll, he was going to go become a number one again, but I think he was going to be coveted in free agency. Uh, more so than if he had just, you know, come off of his Browns seasons. So um, we'll see how much the injury affects the payday, but he's probably going to miss uh, early next season. So it's it's really terrible timing for OBJ, who I think uh, got his stock back into a really good spot during the playoff run. Yeah, it's tough. If you really look at three of the last five years, major lower body injuries, he's approaching 30. And like, while the story's really nice and it's good to see him get a ring, um, two ACL tears in 16 months. He had the, you know, broken ankle with the giants that, at the end there. It's, it's tough when you hit 30, you don't get healthier in football, um, yeah. especially at the lower body injuries. And it's not like Odell's known as uh, the biggest gym rat of all time. He's the guy, you know, naturally gifted talents. Um, one other guy I want to touch on before we get to some Jets related stuff. I'm of the opinion, Aaron Donald's cemented himself as not only the best defensive tackle but probably a top three if not the best defensive player ever um there's some rumors he could walk away which would be pretty incredible given the fact that no major injuries has gotten paid he's done everything you could possibly want in the game and you couldn't fault him for it um similar to calvin johnson patrick willis type uh situation but he's obviously the pff a pff darling in terms of great grading pff war stats like all the deep analytics which i'm a sucker for um you know i think it's some of the best stuff um Where's Aaron Donald rank for you? I know you and Sam talk about it a lot on the show. Um, so people that don't listen to the show, fill us in a little bit where you uh, stand on the Aaron Donald goat or top three, uh, you know, player, defensive player ever. Yeah, I, I wish PFF went back before 2006 because, you know, even when we when we started, you know, there was a lot of players who maybe got a ton of hype. And when you actually go through and grade every player on every play, maybe they're not as good as people thought or maybe better than they thought, or at least they don't, at least our numbers don't necessarily match up with perception. Um, so I love the fact that we've had Aaron Donald's entire career. It's been the best defensive performance we've ever seen. Um, you know, there was a point where we, you know, early where we thought Justin Smith was like the pinnacle and then JJ Watt surpassed him. And it, it seemed like JJ Watt was on his own planet and he was for a little bit. And now Aaron Donald has been 
even better than JJ Watt and for a more sustained, you know, period of time. So, you know, it's tough to compare Donald to say Lawrence Taylor and Reggie White or Bruce Smith directly, but uh, by far the best we've seen of the PFF era. And um, again, I just, you know, we grade every player on every play. So we can go in there and say, uh, you know, he disrupted this running play where he didn't get a tackle or he disrupted this play. You know, the last play of the game, it, it, it was officially incomplete. I believe, I think somebody said it was a game ending sack, but you know, it's just an incompletion, you know, that, that doesn't show up in the box score anywhere, but he does that over and over and over again. He just wins. Um, he just beats guards quickly, beats tackles and he beats them quickly. And, um, and he's just so disruptive and, and it, yeah, he's got great stats too, but he's even much better than all of that, you know, with all the disruption that he creates and how difficult he is to block. So yeah, Donald is as special as it gets, um, from what we've seen, but obviously tough to compare him with, uh, greats from uh, from previous eras yeah i think we do this thing where i don't know who said this morning they're like lawrence taylor is incredible and i he's probably still one for me maybe he's two but like he didn't have a sack every single play and i think sometimes we do this with like michael jordan too and you know all these different guys oh he scored every single time he shot it like yeah. it's not necessarily true so um you know that's the you problem know, with qb yeah. that's that's with qb analysis too oh, people big are like uh, i'm a tom brady guy i'm a, so you know i apologize to everybody here but you know, like you could pick apart Tom. He's still the best of all time. You can still pick apart his game and find bad games, right? You can do that with every single person. We we can't expect perfection from all the great players because it's just not reality. Yeah, I look at that. I was watching the 2006 Chargers Patriots divisional round game. It's still insane to me that Chargers team lost that game. Yeah, the amount of talent. Yeah, it's L, obviously LT. For people who don't remember, that's LT's 31 touchdown season. It's it's a Jackson Gates, Michael Turner, Sean Merriman doing the lights out stuff, and Brady threw three picks and fumbled. And the Chargers fumbled an interception from Brady and they go on and win the game in Chargers right. fashion. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm on the same page as you. Um, I guess we'll, we'll move into, you know, some more Jets related stuff here. Um, obviously a big offseason. I know you and Sam, I think, went through it maybe earlier last week, um, kind of going through some team needs and, um, you know, kind of where the Jets are and amongst, you know, obviously other teams. Ton of cap space somewhere in the, the high 50s right now could get as close to 70, depending upon some cuts, the four top 40 picks. Um, I guess we'll start with Zach Wilson was a guy that I felt like objectively was incredibly underwhelming last year. I felt like he made strides in certain games. He looked really good. Other games was obviously very bad. Um, and then, you know, fell somewhere in the middle towards the end of the year where he stopped turning the ball over, but there was not a lot of big time throws that percentage went down, but so did the turnover worthy throws. So obviously that's a positive there. What were your impressions from Zach? And do you still kind of feel the way you did about him pre-draft and, and, even honestly after the preseason where I felt like the hype kind of reached its apex of he looked really good in the preseason. So all of a sudden it got, got out of control. Yeah. It's, it's tough because I think it's tough to say that I feel the same about Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence really at this point um, because they just, neither guy was great this season. Yeah. They did have the best situations and there's a lot of other stuff there, but you know, they, they were one and two in the draft. Nobody questions really that they were one and two in the draft. So clearly there's some level of disappointment there. I, I think, um, the thing that every, I think everybody loved about Zach Wilson was the off-platform stuff, the, the arm talent, and a lot of those things. You saw flashes of that, um, but that's not the foundation of quarterback play, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been special for his four years as a starter, in part because of the special stuff, but mostly because he does the down-to-down -down stuff really well. He doesn't miss a ton of throws. He gets rid of the ball. He doesn't take sacks. And I, I think for Wilson, it was the, the most alarming thing to me was timing. Um, and this is what didn't match up with the preseason. The preseason, 
he looked so comfortable. And, and I, I look, I think back to Dak Prescott in his preseason where he, he, the first snap Dak took, it was like, wow, this fourth round pick just gets it. And, and the game's not too fast for him. And, and, and that's what I look for in quarterbacks. Right. And Zach Wilson had that this preseason. He's getting rid of the ball quickly. And it's not about stats. It's not in the preseason, but it's about comfort level a lot with the quarterbacks. And I thought Zach Wilson had that. And then the regular season happened and it was like the opposite where he just wasn't getting rid of the ball. There was a lot of games. He's holding the ball over three seconds per drop back, which is just this alarming number, right? If you're at three, Aaron Rodgers does it sometimes and Russell Wilson and Josh Allen, but they're, they're creating big plays down the field with Wilson. It was because he was taking sacks wasn't, but it wasn't all offsetting that with big plays. And um, so to me, and, and then you saw what happened too, for better or for worse, when Mike White and Josh Johnson came in, and you had all the underneath stuff open and the offense just was so much better. And, and um, you don't want to completely overrate that AB analysis, but you could see the deficiencies in Zach Wilson's game where he just wasn't getting rid of the ball quickly, wasn't working within the flow of the offense. The foundational stuff has to get better. And then the special stuff can be, you know, uh, you know, built on top of that. So that's what I want to see going forward. And that's where I think I was most disappointed was there was just too many games where there was, um, he's just not hitting open receivers in, in uh, you know, on underneath routes. Yeah, it was tough, especially you watch the preseason. The preseason for me, same thing. It's all eye test, right? Like, are you doing the little things right? Do you look, do you just, do you look like you belong? Right. Um, you know, obviously there's the anomalies and like, yes, Aaron Rodgers looked awful in his first preseason game, but like he also then sat for three years or vice versa. Just because Justin Herbert was really awesome, that doesn't mean every rookie quarterback is going to be awesome. And look, they all, for the most part, even Mac at the end of the year, you know, started to kind of regress back to the mean a little bit. But yeah, for, like I, I thought the same thing. I, while I, I do think Zach, like I said, I thought Zach improved towards the end of the year. The Tampa Bay game obviously stands out um, just because I felt like he actually did some of those timing things well and it looked like he was yeah. kind of in rhythm. Um, and this kind of leads me to my kind of going forward question is, Look, the Jets offensive line's gotten better. Um, I think you guys both mentioned this in the pod. Like, it's one of the first off seasons in a long time where, like, there's actually some guys in the offensive line you're not looking to replace, uh, which has not been a which has not been a norm. But you know, Zach had a great old line at BYU, had a t- all the time in the world. Preseason wasn't getting run hit rushed a lot, and then you know, week one comes out, and all of a sudden, you know, he's running around, um, you know, scared for his life a little bit. Do you feel like offensive line is still a need for this team? Because there's a huge debate right now between, you know, and Jets fans and my mentions of like offensive line at four edge. Do we need to invest in free agency? All that type of stuff. Obviously, Mekhi Becton situation is a mess. But other than that, do you still feel offensive line is a need for this team? Or do you think there's other needs that are they're more important right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's other things that are more important. You know, if you look at you know Joe Douglas's tenure, too, it's there was there was a lot of investment prior to the 2020 season more investment prior to 2021 they didn't hit on all of those but I think they've got they have three out of their five starters right and and then uh, you also probably probably heard me say I'm going to give Morgan Moses to every single team I would bring Morgan Moses back he's a warrior man he's he's, like every game it's like he's going to tear his ACL and he still plays it's crazy yeah when I was researching him for our free agency uh list I didn't realize that he had just not missed time I didn't realize he just didn't miss games back to 2015 or so um, and he's just a good, solid right tackle. He's just a good player. Um, and, and if you do that, it, it, it also keeps you away from having to draft a tackle early or whatever it is. Um, so you, you always need some depth, you know, so they need two starters technically, I think, you know, you could roll with George Fant maybe for a year, but I would, I would try to add a, a better starting potential right tackle there, you grab a guard, whether it's in free agency or the draft, probably free agency, 
Um, and then, yeah, I think there are other needs to attack. It, offensive line is an interesting one because, again, I think you just need to have something that's not a disaster. Uh, the Bengals the other night was a disaster, and you saw that is detrimental to the offense. If, if the Bengals had two more good starters so they don't have four holes on the line, they only have two or one, it's a completely different game. And, and, and that, I think that's football, right? Just don't have massive holes up front. But on the other hand, I also see a guy like Zach Wilson, you brought up, you know, what he had at BYU with these massive pockets and all that stuff. There are some quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield comes to mind, maybe even Carson Wentz, where there's so Carson Wentz's rookie season, he had beautiful, pristine pockets. You can navigate it. You had all this room. Baker Mayfield's a completely different quarterback when he knows his offensive line isn't great. So may, I don't know if Wilson's kind of like in that bucket where you just want to you actually do want to pursue an elite offensive line, not just a pretty good one, just for that comfort level, just to make sure that he's um, staying, staying in the pocket and making those plays. So it, it is an interesting debate because I, I don't think every quarterback is the same. I just know you don't, you can't have a disaster of an offensive line. The jets have made great strides. There might be a viable strategy though, to try to get that to be great and try to replicate what he had at BYU. Yeah. It's tough because Right guard's clearly the biggest hole, obviously. Um, you know, that's the one. They literally have no one on the roster right now that can play right guard. Um, but Connor McGovern is a guy at center who he grades out pretty well from a, from a PFF perspective. Um, there was just he went back and forth with the fans. So I think that's more of where that comes from than actually his play on the field. Um, you move it. You moving like obviously the weapons we talk, you know, people talk about this all the time. The Bengals, you know, their rebuild and even the Rams from, you know, from what they built themselves up from, you know, post 20 seconds, you know, the post Jared Goff stuff, they have a million different receivers, a million different weapons. And while they had a million injuries during the Super Bowl, the Rams still have a guy like Cooper Cup. And as much as Van Jefferson wasn't getting open, like you still have a viable option to Van Jefferson. You have others. There's depth and also top end talent. Um, you know, what do you, you know, look at from, from a Jets perspective of, all right, they have Elijah Moore, you know, look, looked very good in his time. Um, and then after that, it's like Corey Davis was okay, kind of disappointed. They don't really have anyone at tight end. Michael Carter looked good. How important is addressing that, those offensive weapons? Because I'm of the opinion you need to get at least two tight ends in the building um, and another receiver at a minimum, even if you don't, even if you re-sign Braxton Berrios. Yeah, I, I'm always of the mind that you need a million playmakers. You just, you get as many. It's both, it's strategic and it's tactical, right? So from a strategy standpoint, you mentioned if you have injuries, you can, you have depth, right? But from a tactical standpoint, I think that's just how you win in today's NFL. You put, you flood the field with guys that are tough to cover and you put defenses in a bind because defenses uh, do adjust, right? They did adjust to Cooper Cup for a while for the Rams, right? I mean, so you just have as many playmakers as possible that make it difficult and, and Corey Davis is a, is a tricky one. Like I, I, I liked Corey Davis's 2020 season, but it was clearly he's a complimentary piece to AJ Brown when he was with the Titans. Right. So I, I, I think Corey Davis is a good number two, right. Which means you need a good number one to make Corey Davis a viable number two, to make a guy who runs the vertical route tree and um, can get open at you know at the intermediate level and isn't a great deep thread and isn't great after the catch, but just runs a certain, you know, pattern at a certain part of the field that you need so I think the I'm sure the number one wide receiver buzzword is coming up quite a bit but I think it's it is crucial for the for the Jets because that makes Corey Davis a better player that makes Elijah Moore a better player coming out of the slot as both a vertical and underneath threat um, tight end absolutely right because I think um, I think the NFL has a tight end 
I don't want to say crisis, but there's it's it's top heavy. It's so top heavy, <laughs> right? I mean, there's there's five guys who are like they're uncoverable. There's a few solid starters, and then there's a whole bunch of teams who you know they're they're just working from behind at tight end. It's not it's it's a disadvantage compared to um, where they could be. So having a good tight end, not that they're easy, they're not easy to find, right? But uh, right now in today's NFL, but um, when you have a good tight end, you, then you have a mismatch guy and you can put them, you've got the middle of the field and you can move them around. So for me, it is get as many of those guys as possible, create those mismatches. Um, so stock up on receivers, stock up on tight ends and different skill sets. And that's going to make Zach Wilson's life a lot easier. So this is kind of a debate right now. And it's something that I kind of find fascinating. First of all, I played tight end for those who don't like, don't know. So I I'm enamored with the fact there's like five or six good tight ends. I was looking, I tried to make a top 10 list the other day and it was impossible. The first five were easy, but, and then it just starts, you get like Zach Ertz's corpse at like seven and it starts to get really, really ugly. Um, How you address assets and how, like what you invest capital wise, obviously, um, you know, with the amount of cap space they have, their free agent receiver markets. Okay. Mike Williams is probably the one guy he's the contest. He's a contested catch guy. He makes sense, but I don't know that that number that Mike Williams makes a ton of sense. $18 million a year is around what, like, it looks like, you know, a lot of his projections are. I don't know that the jets go back to back off seasons, 13 plus million dollar guys. Um, then you have the receipt, you have, you know, the draft, obviously that's, you know, you've got London, Wilson, Burks, guys like that, or the trade market of, you know, Calvin Ridley, who, I'm not sure the Jets are really in a position to trade premium picks for a guy that's dealing with some mental health stuff. We don't know the, the you know, severity of it. If you're Joe Douglas, how are you addressing receiver? Because it's, you know, obviously a need, but it, there's a lot of different ways you could address it. And it feels like the Jets have any option to do so. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on the Mike Williams thing. I, I don't know if he's the best fit for, for what I would want there. I think Allen Robinson, you know, if, if I was going to spend the money, I would lean toward Allen Robinson probably. Um, even though we have Mike, we do have Mike Williams higher than Robinson on our free agent rankings. I'm surprised by that. I, w- I was um, surprised too. I was, re- I, I, was re- I wrote Brad before. I was like, oh, I'm surprised by that. That's interesting. Well, because we we have a few of us working on the rankings. I was fighting for Allen Robinson up in Chris Godwin territory. I know Robinson lost a little bit of luster of luster last year, but Robinson has more of that like true number one all around type of potential to me. Gets open, wins at the catch point, all of that stuff. So I think he'd be my my number one, assuming Devontae Adams gets um, gets franchised. So, but but other than that, I don't know if there's a guy worth all that money, especially because of the Corey Davis contract. Yeah, like you mentioned. it's like you pay you pay Christian Kirk, and then it's like, okay, now you have yeah. Christian Kirk and Corey Davis, kind of redundant players in a sense, making yeah. a lot more money. It's just this roster has a lot of holes to do that. Well, so that's so again, that's where not to criticize the Jets moves last year, but that's, I'm, I'm a Corey Davis fan, but like a fan of him in that specific role. Yeah, right? a specific soon, role, yeah. Yeah. As soon as Corey Davis hit free agency, I'm like, I'm not going to get Corey Davis because I wouldn't pay more than say 8 million for him. He's an $8 million a year player for me, just roughly. So if once he gets up into that 12 or 13 range, I, you just can't do it because a year from now you're looking at it. It's like, well, there's seven receivers who are better than him on the market who would have to get more money. Right. I mean, that's why, I think you have to stick to proper valuation every single year because um, all of a sudden a good, you know, a contract, you know, whatever, it just doesn't look good going forward. So I'm of the mind. One of those Ohio state guys though, might make a lot of sense. You know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, give me the route runner. I, I don't know if I want a contested, a contested catch guy as my top guy, top receiver for Zach Wilson. I want a guy that is QB friendly and QB friendly is getting open 
right? Getting open against man coverage, having a feel for zone coverage. I want open receivers for my young quarterback. Now, Trevor Lawrence, I might want a contested catch guy. I just trust him a little bit differently. It's not even a trust thing. I just, style-wise, I think Trevor Lawrence is more of an aggressive tight window thrower versus Zach Wilson. Let me, give, give me the guy who's going to get open, right? So um, I think those Ohio State receivers in the first round might make sense. And then you pair them with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. You've got a pretty good group. Yeah, we'll transition to the, I'm in agreement with you. Like I love Drake Leonard. He's my wide receiver one, but you have to be sure that you can have a plan for him and you have to be sure that you can kind of finagle different pieces around. Um, if Drake but, London is yeah. Mike Evans, right. Which is his upside. Right. If he's Mike Evans, he's fine, but it's like, it's, it's tough to completely yeah, the contested catch guys are really yeah. tough to evaluate just because yeah, you might be Brandon Marshall or you might be Mike Evans where like, right. you know, first of all, Mike Evans, by the way, gets, way too much slander eight straight pro bowls eight straight thousand yard season seasons and he's had some awful quarterback play besides he's Brady, not so. just a contested catch guy he's no, just I'm he's saying, just a really good he's just a really too. good football player he's yeah. awesome yeah. yeah no he's if he's drake a, london is mike evans he's worth it but it's uh, tough to completely yes. project that plus you have to develop and you know all that type of stuff defensive side of the ball jets were obviously atrocious last year um you have some guys that I think are, you know, still have high upside and, you know, Mosley who Mosley and Rankins both didn't grade out well from the PFF perspective. I thought had some nice moments. I thought the scheme kind of put them in bad situations at the same time. And it's in a sense, like they're playing next to guys who would lose gap responsibility and then they would be forced to lose gap or whatever. Um, Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley is a, an interesting pairing to say the least. Um, and then you've got some nice developmental guys on the back end and, you know, Eccles, Hall, Michael Carter, um, Brandon, uh, Bryce Hall, obviously, you know, great out probably the best of those three guys, although I think his season's a little bit overrated um, just because if you look at how many yards he gave up, it's not great. Um, we won't go down the uh, the trade digs route. I know you uh, started a war with that one, and then I tried to join in on the war, and <laughs> Cowboys fans didn't like me that day. Um, all that to say yeah, they're sensitive. Yeah, they're very they're, the Revis, uh, the Revis trade digs thing really. I know it was a troll on purpose, but when Charles Woodson's commenting, you know, if people it got too far. Um defensively, they have a they, you could add anywhere, right? Carl lost an injury, obviously super disappointing. He was a guy that I think everyone kind of was like, Oh wow, this is a good signing. Um Quinn Williams, a guy that's a good player, hasn't really taken the step I think he needs to, um, yet to really cement himself up there with Simmons and no one's touching Donald, but that class, where would you like, where would you look to add initially to this defense? Because obviously you'd love to add everywhere. Um, but it feels to me like a, a number one corner and two safeties would change things a lot. Edge play is like, I don't know. Well, actually you go first and then we'll, yeah. there's a lot to break down with the defense. Well, I've heard Robert Salas too. I, I've heard him talk about the need on the defensive line. You know, you see you see someone like Daniel Jeremiah, uh, his initial takeaway uh, after watching the Super Bowl is, you know, get your, got to get your pass rushers, right? And I think a lot of the NFL is, they're just very much of that mindset. And I think, I think that's probably where the Jets are going to focus, right? Is, uh, you know, another defensive tackle, um, someone to compliment Carl Lawson and just, you know, load up on edge rushers, right? Because that's what you think you saw in the Super Bowl. Um, and you did see that in the Super Bowl. You did see domination up front. But I'll just say that a big reason why quarterbacks get sacked is when their first read is taken away, right? So there's a lot. Go back and look at those Joe Burrow sacks. And if he can throw the ball on time in rhythm, he still has an opportunity to, but it's not there. Yeah. Uh, all that to be said, the coverage unit is just as important, if not more, than 
than the pass rush when it comes to oh, just I think I think a number one corner at a top five corner is more important than a top five edge. I think it's my yeah. hottest take. Just because look at yes, the Ram like, I I'm just thinking about this. Like if you look at all those sacks, even the fourth down, Aaron Donald gets like you know, obviously lights burr up with pressure from his on his left side. Uh, not not people can watch this, but like yeah, CJ Uzama is open and makes Burrow change his read, but he still had time to throw if he doesn't like you know that's like a once that Aaron Donald got pressure so fast that it was different. Um, and if you expect anyone to be Aaron Donald, it's different. Where like the Steelers right. still were not very good on defense, and they had the defensive player of the year who is an elite edge player. Um, if you look at the teams with number one corners, Miami's defense still performed very well without an elite edge um, because of their corner play and all these different things. So sorry, but I just no, I no, really I truly think corner is very devalued right now. I completely agree. And again, it, go back and watch that Burrow play that you're talking about. It's in part, I forget, the outside corner, you know, read the slant and took the slant away. But if Burrow just, if the slant is open, he's throwing it. Donald doesn't get to him. So um, the other thing I'll say, though, is if you're a zone-heavy defense, you, you rely less on your corners, right? You make it, uh, you make life a little bit easier on them. If you're a man-heavy defense, you put more pressure on them. So um, that also, you know, changes the calculus. But I, I really think the Jets, they're two years, they've had a lot of holes to fill for a few years now, but. Um, just like the offensive line is a multi-year issue, corner's been a multi-year issue. Bryce Hall is a, uh, you know, just like the Corey Davis thing. Bryce Hall's probably a decent number two, a decent find in the fifth round on a rookie contract as a two or a three corner, but that you have to put uh, more pieces in front of him. You got two starting safeties to to replace. So I think I would start back to front uh, with the secondary. I would look at linebacker too. I know, you know, with, with Mosley and Williams and all, when you play a ton of zone, there's more pressure on your linebackers. So you need those guys. And um, I know Sala doesn't run exactly the Seattle cover three scheme and all that stuff, but there's, uh, you know, that's the foundation. And uh, that entire scheme was built on great players at all different uh, levels of the field, right? So you got the best corner and the best free safety and the best middle linebacker for that scheme back in Seattle. So trying to replicate it is tough. But I think they were great in part because they had a good pass rush, but really because they were just so good with all the prototypes on the back end. So I, I would start back to front with this Jets defense. Yeah, I think something that's forgotten that 2019, yes, Nick Bosa was a massive addition and the Jets would love to get Kayvon Thibodeau and Perry McCarr lost and that'd be fantastic. Richard Sherman was the first team all pro that year. Like it's not like they had no secondary help. And then Seattle teams, like you mentioned, like they have two or three Hall of Fame players back there. And like Brandon Browner was like a really good number two corner at the time before he started getting arrested. Like he was a really good football player. So um, I, I do think there's defense is a lot tougher because yes, players, you know, players obviously matter at the end of the day, right? Talent, the NFL, I think we figured out talent matters more than anything in the world. Obviously you need good coaching. Um, speaking of coaching, obviously the Jets, you know, they double their win total and they're still far away and it's, you know, they, if we get off season, you know, maybe they get to seven, eight wins next year and they start to be in the conversation nationally on a real, you know, some substance, substantive basis. If Zach Wilson takes a huge step and if um, in 2023 more so more realistically is like a fringe playoff team. How is your confidence? We kind of talked about Wilson. Salah was a guy that I felt like universally people were like, this is a very good hire for the Jets. Like this is the guy they need to really kind of stop being the 20, the decade of the 2010s of the Jets is like, pretty awful um and they were really good they were a pretty good franchise for like 12 or 13 years there and then it just the, the wheels <laughs> fell off and it got bad do you are you still as high on Salah? because I think most people are but there's now some like oh, I don't know maybe it's just 
you know, maybe he's just okay and like can't figure it out because a defensive head coach in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the same as Zach Wilson, right? It's like things were things were so bad on the defensive side of the ball last year. There's no way you could be, you know, more excited about Salah. You know, there were some games where they just got smoked, you know, run game, pass game, and the whole thing. Um, obviously knowing that there is there was a talent deficiency there as well. So you, you start with that. But it's to me, it's really tough to judge. It's, it's tough to properly judge head coaches, both going in and then even after one year. Because all, all you can look at is what were expectations. Did you exceed expectations or did you not, right, right or wrong? Um, and they were a little bit below probably expectations. You, you wanted to get a little bit more life out of the defense. You wanted to probably see a few more wins if, you know, a, 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 you know, a step forward and you just didn't see it right off the bat, but all, all you can really go off of is, yeah, people love them. People want to play for them. This previous track record of taking uh, 49ers defenses with, you know, without, with, with good talent, but when they had injuries, they always seemed to perform and all that stuff. That's all you could kind of work off of at this point. So I would still say, yeah, I'd be encouraged and, you know, optimistic at least going forward, but uh, but not because anything, you know, cause, but he didn't exceed expectations in year one or the jets did not So I don't think you could be maybe more excited than you were when he was first hired. Yeah, no, I, I'm a, I'm on the same opinion as you. It's just like, I, I'm really high on Salah. I got to catch up with him at the senior bowl and I thought the jets coach staff did a really good job, but I, I do think that there is something about having a really young staff and a really young team where like you kind of get a pass year one. Um, year two needs to be a significant increase kind of all across the board, both in, you know, how often you go for on fourth down, two-point conversions, you know, all these different things where you expect young coaches to take a big step there. And we'll see what happens. I think Michael Flores was super promising. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway of, uh, of 2021. It's just like the Jets might actually have a legit offensive coordinator. Um, he made Mike White, you know, with his 13 turnover worthy throws and seven quarters, look right. like a confident player. Yeah. Um, want to finish with a couple of fun things here. Um, quarterback carousel right now, obviously is, we have no idea what's going to happen. Um, there's a million different things out there. I don't even know if Tom Brady's retiring. I'm inclined to believe he'll be back. Uh, I know Sam tweeted before really? that he's going to take, uh, you know, he, Brady's odds are still in the MVP race and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, Rogers, I, I think ends up back in green Bay for some reason, no one covered that James Jones who breaks all of Rogers stories said he's hundred percent back, which was, in, which was really? funny to me. Yeah. yeah. I, he tweeted the other day. He was like, Oh yeah, he'll be back. And I was like, Okay, so I guess he's back. Um, I think he'll be back. Yeah. yeah, I do too. I just, they can move a lot of the money around. The other guys that are actually more interesting to me are Kirk, Derek Carr, and then obviously if Watson and Russ. Um, do you think any or all of them get moved? Because it's <laughs> it's like 12 months straight of like, oh, Derek Carr might get moved. The Vikings, like, I'm of the opinion the Vikings should rebuild. And now where they have a free year with a head coach, you can move Kirk's money. It's only $15 million to eat. And like, you can build the core around one of these top prospects next year, Jefferson Cook. Um, do you think any of those guys get moved and maybe it's Tampa Bay, Denver, the teams that are basically a quarterback away from contending? I, I could see the – I think the Vikings would be most likely to try to move on from Kirk. Um, we'll see with with O'Connell coming in if it's like, hey, we're – you know, I, I don't know what – I'm curious to know what those conversations were, right? And, you know, with uh, – You want this job, and, you can go nine and seven every year. and Yeah, I mean – disappointing. With Quazy too, as as the GM, right? What was his plan? What did he pitch them? Like, we're gonna build around Kirk. Here's my plan, or are we gonna trade him? Or you know, and, and here's my plan. Um, but I could see him being on the move. I could see Josh McDaniels looking at Derek Carr, 
and saying, yeah, I, that's, that's good enough. I, you know, I could see Josh McDaniels walking in confident enough that he could take Derek Carr to the next step and be in there with the Raiders at the same time, how many teams would love to have Derek Carr? I mean, that's the nature of quarterback play in the NFL where the Raiders have a debate and the, the Vikings have a debate. How many teams would love to have a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr right now? So the, the markets could just be really, really hot. And uh, that would potentially lead to something. I, you know, Seattle is interesting because Pete Carroll's back and I don't see Pete Carroll wanting to just start fresh in Seattle. But if Russ forces their hand and wants to get out, you know, it's probably a good time because Seattle, they, the Jets have their first round pick and they don't have, you know, the capacity to get that much better in Seattle for a roster that continues to get worse and worse. And uh, I don't even know about Deshaun Watson or what's even comment on because we don't know anything we don't know what um, is going to come out of it except that he'll be um, if he's available teams will want him as their starting quarterback probably so yeah should <laughs> yeah, be it's, should it's... be fun in the bucks just like bruce bruce arians getting old just like pete carroll he's they're probably going to want to win right so the bucks probably aren't going to sit there and try to develop somebody so they need to try to make another move to replace brady yeah, no, um, it's the quarterback carousel is just it's interesting because every year it's like seven, eight names get floated. You get the guys that get moved of the Wentz, Darnold, um, you know, type of team players that I think I'm interested to see how this kind of changes a bit of like the way these trades happen. Wentz was a huge failure. Darnold was a mess. The trade, both trades look like a disaster. And like Tannehill is still continu continually is like good, but not good enough. And it's all the same guys, the reclamation projects that, you know, Everyone keeps striving for like, like, yes, Stafford is kind of an outlier here, but um, Stafford was also like a top seven, eight guy beforehand and had the talent to be one of those top guys where I don't know that that's the case for, um, you know, some of the other guys. Two last two quick things here. Are, would it be crazy to say the Bills are kicking themselves right now thinking they probably were the best team in the NFL this year and, and if not for an overtime rule, like are they in the Super Bowl? Although I'm not going to get into the overtime rule stuff. Get the overtime rule for they had 13 seconds to stop the Chiefs. That's the what 13 I said. seconds in the get kickoff. It. You could have gotten a stop two times and you didn't get yeah. it either time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the Bills, I think the I'm sure if Tom Brady even watched the Super Bowl, I'm sure he was saying, Man, we probably would have beaten the Niners, and then we would have been playing the Bengals. And I'm sure the Bills would have been saying, We're better than the Bengals, and the Chiefs were probably sitting there saying, We're better than the Bengals. We would have been up there with the Rams. So yeah, but I think that's the nature of this this season, right? I mean, it, it, there was a lot of quirky stuff. There was no elite team, but uh, the Bills absolutely had the case to be the, you know, to be called the best team. And I definitely think they left an opportunity on the table with that, with the late uh, late game loss to the Chiefs. Last uh, last thing, um, last thing here in terms of, you know, there's the, the AFC East right now. It's all young quarterbacks, which is, I think, really exciting. There are still questions around three of the guys, though, in, in some sense, whether it's um, how good really Mac and, and Tua could be in terms of their ceiling. And then Zach Wilson's floor is probably the lowest of all of them. And that's kind of what we talked about earlier. I, I know you've talked a little bit about Tua on your show, well, a lot about Tua on your show, and then some about Mac as well. Are you like, what did the Dolphins do? Because Mike McDaniel comes in, run game coordinator, you know, whiz kid, the whole thing. Their offensive line is atrocious, and two is a like if he doesn't throw an RPO, like it's it's a disaster. What do they do? Because it just feels like there's such a disaster. The Watson stuff, you know, it was it was there. He didn't settle the lawsuits. Two it comes back. Flores is gone. It just it became a mess. 
what do the Dolphins do at quarterback? Because the Patriots are kind of stuck with Mac. They are who they are. They're going to play defense, run the ball. The Bills have that, you know, super high ceiling, like you mentioned. Zach Wilson, we already talked about. What, what, how do the Dolphins kind of, you know, make that jump? Because well, Jalen Waddle's awesome and Javon Holland's really fun, but the rest of uh, that offense is, it's kind of just there. Yeah, I mean, I think because they have a new coach, because McDaniel comes in, it's like, all right, we'll give Tua a year, right, and see what see what McDaniel can do with them. It's year three, uh, because of the success that the entire Shanahan tree has had, elevating quarterbacks from Matt Schaub to Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I mean, is Tua that much worse than those guys? We'll see. I mean, McDaniel probably went in there and said, yeah, I just did this with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? I mean, we just but QB wins, but QB wins. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's won a ton of games with the Niners for whatever it's worth. And uh, McDaniel probably went in there and sold it and said, we could do that with Tua. So they got to spend the offseason making that offensive line better, give them one more shot, and then uh, reevaluate. And I think that's what they're going to do here with Mike McDaniel and uh, his head coach. Yeah, it's the Giants. They're in the same class. There's a lot of different teams. It feels like this kind of a year in flux where it's not a good quarterback draft class. There's a lot of veterans available, but there's a lot of, you know, they're kind of nearing under contracts, Carr, Rogers, all these different guys. Um, You know, obviously, you know, really appreciate the time. If everyone, I assume most people already follow you, um, you know, PFF underscore Steve, um, you know, PFF, you know, NFL pod. Um, I enjoy it a lot. I think it's good. You know, I think I'm not just saying this. I said this one. I say this to runner all the time. I say this and everyone else is on the show from PFF. Just because you don't like someone's grade does not mean that people are only t- tweeting about grades because there's a lot of definitely different stuff that goes into it. It's balancing analytics and it's balancing the film. So uh, yeah. relax yourself. I know people always like, oh, this guy graded badly. This, these stats suck. Well, then don't use that grade. Use the other stuff. The, yeah. the deep dive stuff, if you want to pay for it very good by the way so you should probably do that but you know obviously appreciate you coming on and um make sure you guys are you know tuned into the pod and um you know following steve on twitter and, and everything like that well i appreciate it and uh, hey look i used to be one of the people that argued with the grades and then i <laughs> you know started to become a grader and saw the sausages made and i think you know i think overall we do a pretty good job so yeah i appreciate you having me yeah no of course and uh you know we'll talk to you guys next week cole strange will be on um, you know, Chattanooga Center. And then, uh, you know, we'll have a, we'll have another guest as well. So talk to you guys on Tuesday.